Hey there, mga Sunday. So thank you so much guys for coming. So diba, it's a Sunday but you guys chose to be here with us at UAP. So today we will be celebrating the World Architecture Day with the theme Architecture for Well-Being. So we have here today some special guests, some foreign architects who are practicing in the Philippines and a Filipino architect that is actually world-renowned. So thank you so much. Don't forget to like and share our art talks Present to your fellow architecture graduates as well as architects. So we are actually live at the World Architecture Day page and at UAPGA National page. So thank you so much. So before that, let me introduce to you myself. So by the way, I am architect Jonathan Cruz. I just passed the board exam last June. So thank you. Uh, wow. So let's just make this program a little bit chill because it's a Sunday. So yeah, welcome to World Architecture Day 2022. So actually, two years ago, I was also the moderator for WAD 2020, and we're at, we held it, ano, parang online Zoom lang. So it's really nice to see you guys again back here in a physical setup. So de ba? At least we're slowly going back to like normal. Hopefully, mass will be gone by you know next year, and hopefully we'll get back to our previous lives or maybe like better lives in the future. So. All right, now we would like to acknowledge the support of our mother organization, the United Architects of the Philippines, for preparing this event with us today and our guests from our mother organization, UAP. We would like to acknowledge the presence of our UAPGA chairperson, architect Grace Edrelin Servino. Thank you so much, ma'am. Our UAP Commission and Education Executive Director, architect Gracie Ramos. Hello, ma'am. Thank you. Architect Richard Garcia, the UAP WAD Organizing Committee and UAP President. Wow. So, here guys. So, today we'll be talking about more on like architecture of well-being. So, like projects that like promote human wellness. So, next is as an established architecture community, UAPGA Meta wants to be a part. And at the same time, continue the tradition of celebrating the world Architecture Festival. I mean, World Architecture Day. Well, advanced tayo. Ah. So this 2022, UAPGA National prepared a competition and a sit-down interview with notable architects, which we will be mentioning later. So we are truly grateful to be joined by such humble professionals who are very much willing to share their knowledge and provide guidance to our future architects. So today, we will tackle again yung mga ano architecture for well-being sa mga future graduates. So Supo, hopefully, na someday you guys will be, you know, taking this down and you'll be better architects like us. Well, so, and here we go. Let us move on to the main part of our event and get to know our guest speaker. So, may we call on our National Director for Partnership, Maria Karen Grace G. Bauzon, to introduce our guest speakers. Hello, Karen. Good day, everyone. I am here to introduce our dedicated and passionate guest speaker, Uh, starting with our first guest, he is a multi-awarded Italian architect 
and businessman with interest in sustainable development, energy, and real estate. He graduated summa cum laude in architecture at La Sapienza University of Rome, and he holds an executive MBA from Asian Institute of Management, an international management school established in partnership with Harvard Business School and considered as the best in terms of executive education in the Asia-Pacific region by Asia Week magazine. He is the current executive chairman and CEO of Italpinas Development Corporation or IDC, an Italian-Filipino real estate development firm which held its initial public offering on Monday, December 7, 2015 that specializes in the design and development of sustainable buildings. He is also the vice chairman of the Philippine Renewable Energy Company named Constellation Energy Corporation, or CEC, that focuses on acquiring, financing, and developing small to medium-scale renewable energy projects across the Philippines. Please welcome architect Romolo Vinati. So thank you so much, Karen. Hello, sir. Welcome to... Ah, yes, sir. So we have here architect Romola Nati. So hello, sir. Welcome to World Architecture Day 2022. So we have prepared some questions for you. So can we know first more about like living here in the Philippines? So what is it like? What is what is it like like practicing architecture here in the Philippines? Okay. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, obviously. Every time I'm invited by architect, no matter where I am, I just go because I am part. I mean, I, we are uh, uh, we study together. I mean, we study the same uh, field, the same thing. So I am very happy. Thank you for inviting me. And as you said, I am from Italy, but I moved here in 2009, actually 2008, and I set up the company with my partner Giorgio Leviste, who is a Filipino, in 2009. And uh, I, as an Italian architect, I cannot sign in the Philippines, you know. Um, so uh, the way we work is uh, uh, I do the concept together with some other Italian architects. Uh, and uh, uh, then I collaborate and partner with Filipino architects and engineers uh, to develop uh, the, our projects and uh, also to get to the permits that are needed to develop and then uh, operate the building. So uh, it's uh, with Italpinas, what we do is uh, we design and develop green buildings in emerging cities in the Philippines. Uh, we have projects in Cagayan de Oro and uh, in Santo Tomas Batangas. And now we are also uh, looking for new uh, places where we are develop we are going to develop our green buildings. To be in the Philippines, obviously, it's very exciting. I like it here. Filipinos, Italians are very similar uh, in many ways. And uh, so it's uh, it's not uh, so difficult for me to live here as for the Filipinos to live in Italy. You know, we have more than 200,000 Filipinos living in Italy. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, so it's a pleasure, and I'm be very lucky to uh, found the Philippines uh, as a so place a where I can design and develop uh, my project. Wow, that's really great. It's really nice to see actually international architects practicing here in the Philippines because it's like an exchange of knowledge, what they've learned from Italy and what they can also learn from our setting here in the Philippines. Thank you so much, right. sir. Um, um, among your projects, what do you think is the best you've done so far in terms of like the whole project? The best you've done so far? Um, in the Philippines, uh, I mean, it's like if you ask me, if you ask a person who is his favorite child, you know, it's very difficult to say. Uh, of course, our first, my first project was Primavera Residences in Cagayan de Oro, and that was the project that uh, uh, gave me the start. Because if that project wouldn't have uh, would have been like like it it was, uh, and very much welcomed by the market. Uh, most probably my venture in the Philippines wouldn't wouldn't be would have, would have been so good like it was. So I would say that Primavera Residences is uh, the most important project I've done so far. Doesn't mean that it's the one I like the most or the best project. It's just the first. So it actually paved the way to your exactly. practice here. The way, yes. Oh, so if you guys have time, you may check his project in CDO. It's in Uptown, sir, right? Yes, he's in Uptown uh, Cagayan de Oro, just beside uh, SM Mall, uh, in uh, the in a township that was developed uh, several years ago by I think a company named Pueblo de Oro. Okay, so what do you see here in the Philippines? Like, what makes the Philippines setting different, or like, what are the challenges for like your practice here? Like, was the weather like a big different? Like, is it really so different from Italy or like, for example, the laws? Low? You know, how about that? Like, what do you think are the challenges for practicing here in the Philippines and like the development you're doing? Um, okay, the weather is different, of course, from Italy, because in Italy we have seasons, you know, yes. our fourth season. In the Philippines, uh, uh, you only have dry season and wet season. Um, and the temperature is always high. So the problem in the Philippines is to be able to design and build buildings that do not require too much energy to be cooled down. So uh, since we design mainly using passive green design strategies, means that we try to increase natural ventilation, shading, water recycling, things like that, we need to be very cost effective, you know, because our buildings are uh, targeting the rising middle class in the Philippines. So uh, we cannot build uh, green buildings that are too expensive because uh, uh, I, uh, that's not the market that we are interested in. No, we, we, we would like to make uh, green buildings accessible, affordable. So I would say that's the, best, the big challenges. I mean, to, to design and build green buildings, but accessible for the market. Yeah. Actually, that's really nice to hear because I think anywhere in the world or even here in the Philippines, most green developments are actually like usually open to like the upper class or the top 1% because it's really expensive to have those kinds of like, you know, investment because people like have this kind of like stigma against green architecture that it's expensive. Well, I believe that it's not really. It depends on how you actually have your design solution. Well, that's really, really nice to hear, sir, because for here, at least in the Philippines, people from the middle class could actually afford such kinds of development because architecture should 
be inclusive after all. It should just not be for the top 1% or for those people who can actually afford it. So it's really nice to hear. Okay, so I have one question, uh, first question for you, sir. So it's more about like architecture on creating an emotional connection. So as we all know, architecture is definitely a multi-sensory experience. So it's not just like how you see it, also how the breeze, um, how you feel it and the sound and everything. Basically, it's a multi-sensory experience. So as an architect, how do you use architecture to lessen the stress in an environment? For example, you're designing um, residential complexes. So do you believe that a certain space can affect a person's behavior? Or how did you design your projects to actually promote well-being in its users? Um, yes, of course. Um, the environment where human beings operate, where human beings work or live or sleep and or dine, everything, it's it's an it has an effect of on on the human being itself, no, themselves. I mean, if you live in, if you feel yourself, if you like, if you find yourself in a, uh, just to make an example, in a very small uh, uh, space with the wrong proportion, with the dark colors, with not too many uh, uh, natural light, uh, and and so on, not not well ventilated. And maybe also with uh, uh, or too many artificial kind of materials, most probably you are not going to feel very good. Correct? Uh, actually, the opposite of this is if you find yourself in a beautiful forest uh, close to nature, or maybe in the beach uh, with the the sea and the sun and the wind, you feel better. Correct? That that yes. that's an objective uh, uh, feeling sensation because when you are close to the natural element. Uh, you are uh, for some for many reasons that are means uh, are linked to uh, to uh, the oxygen to to uh, to many aspects that are very physical and so they also have an impact on the psychological uh, uh, um, uh, part of the of of, uh, of human being. You feel much better. So this means that obviously, objectively, spaces have an an effect. They they affect the 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 uh, people that are living there so having said that uh, as architect we need to always from my point of view focusing on creating spaces that are not too much invasive you know i mean i, I like mini minimalist architecture because it does is not uh, too aggressive you know i like architecture that uh, uh, are not shouting you know because uh, uh, if you live in a space that is too much characterized, uh, after a while, maybe you get bored of it, you know, and so you need to change it. So I think that uh, uh, from my experience, it's better to for architects not to force themselves to leave their signature in everything they do, because sometimes can 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 be too much, you know, so better just to create spaces that are uh, well ventilated, well lighted with natural light, uh, uh, proper better if you have uh, natural materials and colors that are not too, uh, too, 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 too strong. But of course, also you need to consider what kind of architecture are you designing, correct? Because if I design a school uh, or if I design a kindergarten or if I design a residential, commercial or a, a party place, of course, you need to understand uh, uh, that, that, that who is going to use the end users of the space. So, having said that, uh, you need always to to uh, to be specific, you know, about uh, to to be to be very conscious about the end users of uh, the buildings or houses or the architecture that you are producing. 
So I really agree that, you know, like that's also like one of the philosophies we have because actually I'm also practicing now, but we're just like establishing a small startup studio. And we're also talking about like a good architecture need not to be alien in its own context for it to actually stand out. Diba? Like you don't have to put a Zahadid in Escolta. Like what you really have to do is like do good architecture. And for me, Also, like what you've said, I totally agree. The spatial experience should actually speak for the quality of architecture you're actually having, diba. It's like, like again, what I've said earlier, it's the multi-sensory experience that people are having, like how the breeze, like how they feel the breeze, how the sun touches their skin, and like the sound of the rain when it rains. So it's actually nice to hear that we're actually, the people here are actually sharing the same insight of what good architecture can be in. So, for example, sir, in Primavera residences in Cagayan, what do you think is the best design solution or feature you've actually um, introduced into the project? For example, like the windows or like, like what what characteristic of the building? Uh, okay, so in uh, in um, in Cagayan, uh, we. Are- Let me say that before we start any design, we do a very extensive data gathering about the elements, the natural elements and characteristics of the place, such as the wind speed, the wind direction, the sun path, also the rain precipitation, how, how many, how much it's the rain during uh, the year. Of course, we, we study uh, historical data. Okay. So what we're trying to do, we are, we are trying to utilize these elements in such a way that we, the building itself can Uh, work in harmony with these elements. Uh, like to say, uh, uh, we need to, one of the most important thing in the Philippines is to reduce temperature, correct? Because it's very, very hot. Uh, yeah. So uh, how can you reduce temperature? Of course, without using uh, too much aircon, you increase natural ventilation. So how do you increase natural ventilation? Uh, with mainly the stack effect. Uh, I'm sure you are aware about it. It's like uh, having uh, allowing uh, air to to get inside the building and enter inside the uh, the building it, it itself and having like a natural chimney that uh, uh, allow the air to go to go up to to raise up. Why? Because the hotter hair is lighter than the the colder, so the hotter hair goes up and it sucks the colder. So. The colder one. So this uh, very simple but very effective uh, uh, um, strategy uh, helps uh, a lot to have a bi- the building much uh, much cooler than regular buildings. And of course, cross ventilation in every unit it means that every unit doesn't matter the size can have uh, has uh, in, a, in 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 all our buildings they have. Uh, Uh, um, opening on uh, on both uh, opposite facade or, or sides. In such a way, you always can have natural ventilation. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the unit uh, owners or the, the occupants of the buildings are very happy because they save around 24%, 25% of energy bill because they use less aircon. This is one of the aspects. Plus, we use uh, shading. So we shade the facade so that during the hottest uh, hour of, hours of the day, the sun doesn't hit directly the window. So you reduce the uh, greenhouse effect inside the building. Plus we have solar panels, water recycling, things like that. So all those things, of course, they, 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 together with a beautiful building. Because if you have, uh, you, we, have our, we are architects, so we, we, we like beauty, correct? Uh, and uh, so it's very important that buildings are uh, performing well, but at the same time, they have to be pleasant. You know, they have to be, they, they have to attract 
uh, I mean, the people living there, and and uh, and that's what we have done with Primavera Residencia has been extremely successful. I don't know how many award we got with Primavera Residencia. So, I mean, really a lot. I don't know, maybe ten. Yeah, that's actually a lot for a building. It's really yeah, great. a lot, a lot of award. Yeah. Wow. So. Actually, saving 25 to 30% of electricity consumption is actually big, especially yeah. now that like the electricity rate, like kilowatt per hour, is actually increasing. So that's really nice to hear, sir. So um, also here in the Philippines, it's actually very sad because our roots, like how our, our what do you call it, forefathers or how are our ninunos, to it because actually we also have if you're familiar with the bahay na bato or bahay kubo it's very cliche to like say but actually those those are actually the you know the samples that we should be referring to because those are the buildings that are designed for the Philippines like diba it may sound cliche like how we do it in our plates but even if it's so gas gas in our plates or in our proposals in school we don't still see them in actual you know practice like used by the developers for example like passive cooling for example, here earlier, I was uh, feeling a little too hot. I was like sweating because I think the AC is not too, you know, it's not too strong to like cool the place. So for example, it's like this, diba? like maybe we can do some better strategies like for buildings to actually like consume less electricity. So in your other projects, like for example, your project in Batangas, sir, can you explain more about it? Like how is it different from Primavera in Cagayan de Oro? The building in Santo Tomas Batangas, which is named uh, uh, Miramonti Green, Residen Green Residences, uh, more or less same principles uh, of utilizing uh, passive green uh, uh, passive green strategy. So we have shading uh, created by balcony that's uh, all around the units. Uh, the building is higher because it's going to be around twenty one stories, if I'm not wrong. While Primavera is uh, around ten. Uh, we also have inner, uh, inner increased inter, inner ventilations, um, but in this case, we don't have an inner court here. We have just a, a series of uh, uh, opening in, in that go through the, the third floor to the 21 floor. Plus, we have also uh, solar panels on the rooftop. So more or less, the, the system, the principle are similar, but the design is different. Oh, I see. Actually, that's also nice because even here in Metro Manila, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the developer, but I'm seeing actually a lot of condominiums that are actually like embracing greener design solutions. For example, I know you guys know this, this, you know, this condominium that shines like a golden tower at night and they have like these, as you get DMCI. You know, have you been to their condominiums? It's really nice because they also put parks on every five floors, I think. And they have overhanging gardens for all of those five floors. And I've actually tried like renting an Airbnb in one of those DMCA condominiums. It's really, really nice because like you're on like the 28th floor, but you still feel like you're on the ground floor because there's a park. And then when you go outside the hallway, there's actually an atrium. So you actually feel like the building you're living in is just like a five-story apartment somewhere here in Metro Manila, but in reality, it's actually up on the 28th floor. So if you have time, you can like, you know, have a staycation in one of those DMCI condos. It's really, really nice. And lakas ng hangin if you're on the hallway and you can just open your door and let the air come in. So yeah. Wow, that's really great, sir. So 
for you future architects, if you have like a voice, even in your practice, try to like convince your, you know, your mentors to actually like, sir, maybe like we can do something green or if the budget allows. Because usually, again, like that's really the problem here in the Philippines. Like when you see green, people think, ah, mahal, it's really expensive because even solar power alone, like the budget or the cost for like putting up a solar power system in your house costs like a one-story house already. So for like middle-class Filipino, it's not really that, you know, affordable. Sample for like, like, like me, I can't afford it, <laughs> diba? And also, yeah. So what other projects are you working on, sir? Like other than the Batangas and in CDO? Uh, in CDO, we have Primavera City. Now we have a new one, Primavera, sorry, Primavera Residence. This is the one we just talked about, but we have a new project called Primavera City, which is much bigger. Uh, and uh, is good. we are developing in uh, four phases, which are very interesting project. If you had the chance going to see it uh, uh, online, I'm sure you'll find something. Uh, now we're also uh, uh, going to develop a new project, which is going to be the first economic development uh, of IDC, Italpinas. And uh, the name is going to be Verona uh, Green, uh, Green Apartments. Also, a green building that is going to be uh, uh, rated by EDGE. EDGE is the green rating system that we use to accredit our building as green. Uh, and by the way, EDGE is developed by the World Bank uh, through IFC. And uh, Verona is going to be the first economic development green, I think, in the third Philippines. I've never seen something like that. Also, you have the chance maybe you can find something online, even if the building has not been officially uh, launch. Uh, plus, we are working about uh, with the uh, for new projects, but I, unfortunately, I cannot mention because we are a listed company and uh, we cannot disclose projects that have uh, not been officially disclosed to the PSC. Wow, that's so you're actually offering a new like greener housing for like people like even like like part of the lower middle class. Correct. Wow, that's really nice. So a round of applause for that because actually like, you know, someday, diba, like even the developments here in the Philippines, even like the condos, they're so expensive, even the middle class can't afford. <laughs> so diba, like at least now with like an, a more affordable housing, it's not just an affordable housing, but also like a greener one. So also say there's also like a thing in green architecture where in like, you know, we call it greenwashing because people, especially students, we tend to like just put trees on buildings and we don't actually know how putting more trees on a building would actually be more harmful and would be less greener than you thought because diba, like, even the maintenance for like putting up a very big tree up like on a 30th floor would be really costly. So about that, sir, like, do you like, what? what's your comment about greenwashing, about that, that uh, how people see green buildings as just putting trees on buildings. So like, what are the other aspects that people really need to look into in order for them to consider a building green other than plants? You know, to me, the, the answer is very simple. Uh, any building that uh, uh, is claiming to be green uh, must be uh, rated green by a third body uh, organization that can be LEED, BRIAM, EDGE, and, and also BERDE, in the Philippines of BERDE. Yeah. So uh, as long as this that building is rated green, uh, then it's supposed to be a, a green building. Other buildings that are just uh, 
for advertising the region uh, called green because as you said maybe they have a lot of plants or trees or maybe they're just painted green they say that's a green building so i mean look for the certification oh so if you guys have projects it's like it's better to like i mean it's the best for you to like have them certified so can you talk about more edge sir because even i think our audience even me were like unfamiliar to this Okay, EDGE is uh, the green rating system developed by the World Bank, as I said. I'm sure everyone knows what the World Bank group is. And it's developed through IFC, which is an arm of uh, the World Bank. IFC is, is uh, International Finance Corporation. Now, EDGE is, from my point of view, very, um, how do you say, uh, very good for the Philippines because other uh, other green uh, systems do, do not take into consideration the specificity of the country itself. Because what I'm saying is a green building uh, um, in the Philippines must have different requirements from a green building in Canada or in the US or in Japan or in, in, in South America. Because uh, every country as is on uh, a specific condition. For example, in the Philippines, uh, power is very expensive. So uh, uh, a building that reduces power is extremely important. Or in the Philippines, again, uh, uh, if we're talking about the middle class, they, they purchase power is not like in the US. So the fact that you can reach a, a green, uh, uh, you can make a green buildings that is not very expensive, is also a very important achievement. So Edge, from my point of view, uh, is the, the, the green system that takes very much into consideration the specific, spec, specificity, the space. Yeah, specificity. specificity. Specificity of the country itself. Uh, and uh, why, for example, LEED, LEED, which is also very important, very good, but only to, uh, to, to, to apply with LEED is extremely expensive. You know what I mean? Uh, or lead uh, taking consideration uh, gives a lot of uh, points for uh, very high tech features. Why, why uh, uh, edge uh, gives a lot of points for green uh, passive green features. You know, so uh, I find edge uh, a very interesting uh, uh, rating system that I and I really suggest everyone to to look at it because maybe it's not promoted and known and famous like lead yes but to me it's uh, more effective for the philippines oh so that's really interesting to know because the like as you've mentioned what green well, like it really depends on the context like what's really green is like depending for example like the place for here in the philippines so oh uh, it's really nice to know that lead actually gives more points for like what you like artificial like systems you know it's yes in um I mean, again, don't quote me because I wouldn't like to be sued by lead, you know. But uh, I mean, uh, lead is more from my point of view for very high class buildings, like yeah. dwelling buildings, you know, this kind of uh, uh, towers that are in Makati and BGC, which are very expensive and they have curtain wall and, and they have a lot of uh, high tech features, you know, in order to make them green. Uh, special aircon, special films on the facade. Uh, special lighting, all those special uh, features cost a lot of money. And so they, 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 this money, is the cost is passed on to the buyer. So uh, for if you notice, this building all lead. So lead is for the top, uh, uh, the top class, you know what I mean, in terms of cost. 
not top class in terms of architecture. Instead, Edge it's more for uh, for, for uh, accessible, affordable uh, buildings. So I, I'm sure I, I already know that Edge is growing very fast. Oh, so that's really nice to hear. So it's really more useful here in the Philippines because I think like if you want to certify your building, for example, for example, LEED, so diba, they're giving out more points for those expensive uh, mechanisms. So there's actually an implication that for your building to be green, it has to be expensive. Correct. Uh, which is actually supposedly not because, diba, again, like how I see it, architecture should be like, democratize or it should be like inclusive no matter what class you are what race or whatever so that's really correct, nice to correct, hear correct. even because you have to take something else no because uh you, you we can be confused about green buildings because if the uh, final uh goal is to reduce uh, the for example uh, the electric the power consumption if a building that the building itself is very green because it saves a lot of energy, but to build that building, the amount of energy that was used at the onset to build the building and to build the materials that uh, used to sell the building are very high. And then what did you do? You have a green building, but you just move to the source of the consumption exactly. of fire. So that's actually a part of, of like, you know, making a green building because when I was doing my undergrad thesis, there are, there's actually a firm in, US, but they're actually based also in Africa. So most of their projects are like doing buildings, not just green, but actually socially responsible. So they're actually computing the greenness of a building by also like how far you're sourcing the products, for example. Yeah. Like, for example, like Hauser said, like the green technologies, if you're importing them from like Italy or Germany, so you're still uh, contributing to the ca carbon footprint of the product. So st it's still not. Sustainable. In fact, there is a word is embedded carbon footprint for materials. That's what you need to see because you're right. If I build a building that is green, but uh, most of the material are imported from uh, man, many countries, that is how much carbon footprint uh, that particular material has. So we need to be very careful. Yeah, because for example, like you're ordering a very nice green curtain glass, but you know, it flew like thousands miles thousands of miles in the air so the airplane itself actually contributed to the greenhouse emission so still yeah. not all right. sustainable all right. after all, right. all so actually i tried to search your project is this verona sir wow it's actually really nice so this how like would you mind sir how much is like the entry level for like the units here or are you allowed to like uh, this, you know, in the Philippines, you have socializing houses, economic, open market, and luxury. Okay, so the economic uh, goes from seven hundred to two million pesos. So this unit should cost. Of course, there are small units should cost around uh, no more than two million pesos. Wow! So if you guys are like thinking about moving out from your houses, so you better you know save up starting now. So living in the in like in this building would just cost me less than two million. Yes, a unit would cost. Uh, maybe we. I think the price will start lower than two million. I think one point seven, wow. one point six. I would love to buy a unit a year from now or two. The like it's well designed and it's not that expensive. So it's actually a really really great offer like for the people. So thank you so much, sir, for offering this kind of like development yeah you know you said you said something very important earlier and i totally agree with you architects should uh, from my point of view should be able the real challenge is to to create beautiful architecture that are not expensive 
and uh, so that they can be appreciated and utilized by everyone. So the democratization of beauty and sustainability. Yeah, I agree because even here in the Philippines, when I was growing up, like when we when we built a house like two decades ago, I used to tell my parents like, why won't we get an architect? And they keep on saying that it's really too expensive. It's just for the rich. Where in fact, architecture should not be like that. Architecture should be more like for everybody, right, sir? Yeah. So like, is it right. the same in Italy? Like, is there, is there, is there like um, a stereotype for architects to be just for the people who can afford it? Um, of course, it, it, this is a very, it's a quite common stereotype and eh? that uh, the architect, if, if you have money, then you call the architect. But at the end, uh, I think that uh, it's better to call the architect because you can also save money. Because a good architect, I'm sure you agree with me, is also able to optimize uh, the construction of the building and of the house, whatever it is, and also optimize the layout and, and, and of course, make uh, that product a beautiful product, which, I mean, how important is uh, beauty? To me, it's very important. I want to go home and I, I want to I wanna know that I go in a place that, you know, I, I like it, correct? So it's it's extremely important. Okay, so before we move on, um, I would like to like, I would like to tell everyone. So if you have comments or like questions, you can write it down now. And also to our live viewers, you can type in on the comment section below your questions, and we will be reading them later. So yeah, so are you guys still okay? So if I say energy check, you say energy, okay? Energy check. I don't feel any energy right now. Again, energy check. Energy check. Oh, uh, you guys don't have any energy at all. Joke lang. Okay, so yeah. So can you tell us more about Verona, sir? Like, what makes it different, or is it is it just the same with your previous development, the Primavera and the one in Batangas? No, no Verona is uh, an additional challenge for us because again, it, we are making a green building uh, that is going to be for the economic market. Uh, so that's that's the first time for us to do that. Okay. Okay. So before we proceed, um, we would like to welcome our next speaker. So let me call on Mr. Warren Lava to introduce our next guest speaker. So another speaker will be joining you, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy World Architecture Day. To acknowledge our second guest speaker. He is the principal architect and founder of WTA Architecture and Design Studio. He is the founder and director of Anthology Festival, Shelter Magazine, and the Book Staff Project, and writes the City of Tomorrow column for the Philippine Daily Inquirer. He is also an adjunct professor at Taylor's University, Malaysia. He is a strong advocate of social architecture that promotes an architecture that builds communities. Projects of note developed by WTA includes the Bookstop Project in Intramuros, Manila, the 419-hectare Horizon, Manila, the open-source emergency quarantine facilities throughout the Philippines, and the River Lane, the Pasig River's first pedestrian bridge. He is currently working on developing new ideas about the human environment in various urban planning projects, and engaging stakeholders' well-being amongst its users. Well, in the city of San Juan, uh, we're currently promoting um, a typology where you have, you know, uh, bigger flats. And so what we're doing is we have 
one unit per floor. Each unit would have a 30 to 50 square meter balcony. And so what we're trying to push for is, you know, this medium density of about maybe 10 to 15 stories. And so far, we've been able to build about four towers of this typology. And so this is something that we feel like, especially after the pandemic, um, we've been looking for bigger spaces for our, you know, um, condominium residences and things like that. But it also kind of like takes away this problem of like quiet streets where we have, you know, fenced off townhouses that we see in, for example, New Manila coming over here. And so we want to address this problem and we want to be able to say, instead of building, you know, walled townhouses, maybe we can build, you know, these medium density towers, you know, in lieu of those. So that's one example, I guess. Okay. Um, actually, if you guys don't know, um, a few years ago, actually WTA um, released a an open source design template for an emergency quarantine facility. So it's actually like for the quarantine of like the COVID-19 patients. So can you talk more about it, sir? So how did you design it and how did you provide like a good environment for the patients while isolating? So the emergency quarantine facilities was really about addressing, you know, the problems of the pandemic, which largely said, even now, the primary defense against that is isolation. And when you look at, you know, a big swath of Metro Manila, where you have very dense population, sometimes maybe six people living to a room, you realize quickly, especially at that time in 2020, that there just isn't a way for them to isolate. And so what we did was instead for us to, you know, embrace our role as builders, you know, as architects, and kind of like lead, you know, the construction of these quarantine facilities, and the idea was to place them locally, you know, in local hospitals within reach of, you know, everyone in the city. So this became more familiar, more comfortable, uh, more accessible for everyone in various communities. And so that's what it was all about. Um, of course, the idea about using wood and plastic, um, something that doesn't, you know, that you can always feel like you can get out of. It doesn't feel like a trap. Um, it's something that's also softer, uh, more forgiving as a material. So that was what the whole program was about. And I think it was more about addressing an emergency need. Okay, so thank you so much, sir. Um, how about um, Architect Ramalunati? Like, how do you improve human emotions or how do you create a, an environment that promotes well-being to its users? Uh, mainly... Um trying to uh, improve the connection between indoor and outdoor spaces. And uh, as is also said, uh, um, uh, COVID the restriction uh, made us realize how important it is to have access, direct access to balconies, for example, or to outdoor spaces in, uh, inside your building. So I think that's one of the most important aspects that we always take in consideration since even before COVID, all our the building I design buildings we design and build have uh, plenty of uh, outdoor common and private spaces. On top of that, uh, we increasing natural ventilation is also I think very important. Uh, creating spaces uh, spaces also that are not I mentioned earlier too aggressive uh, in the way they are designed and the material that we use, uh, because I think uh, we need uh, uh, spaces that are more. Uh, in some way anonymous, you know, spaces that are not so characterized. I think it's also important and uh, above all for the, pri the private spaces. 
Um, and also, again, increasing natural lighting. Uh, natural light is also very important because we know that uh, we also, our body produces certain substances, certain uh, vitamins, I think, something like that, no? when you are exposed to natural light. So more or less these are, uh, and uh, hope when we can also use natural materials. Okay. So for example, like um, in an urban scale, how do you think should cities be designed like for to make it more livable for example in here in manila um i don't know some of us may or may not agree but it's not that really livable i mean for me it's not really livable so how do you really envision cities in the future how do you think they would be more comfortable for the people to like you know just go around and actually have a better life architect william well i think manila you know um is an easy answer because we have so little public space. And that's one of the things, of course, that we address in every time we master plan a new community. Um, but I think other than public space or open space, one of the things that we actually you know, are particular about is that you know, a lot of open space actually goes fallow or unused or underutilized in Metro Manila simply because people were not used to using them and they go unactivated, you know, um, they go into disrepair because of, you know, neglect. And so I think one of the things we should also push for, you know, as we transition into like accepting more open space is how do we insert more public buildings aside from the basketball court in every corner? Um, what else? What, what other public, you know, service or utility or amenity can we insert into a city for it to be a more, you know, we need more diverse recreative recreational functions in our city and that's something i think that we sorely lack you know a diversity of public space and so they're always very singular and so that's one of the things we look forward to addressing okay um architect Ramul Nati. yeah i i agree i mean um uh public open area spaces for public to gather and also to promote to promote social connectivity um it, it's it's ex are ex extremely important, but if there are green spaces and, you know, as architect, we mainly focus on uh, spaces with, within buildings, but we should focus on spaces between buildings, you know, what's happening outside buildings. And uh, it, it's a little difficult when uh, uh, the, 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 the master planning is done only by the private, you know, because private also think about profit. Uh, whatever is no profit, they consider, I mean, not not all, but some, something, you are losing something. Instead, you know, you can gain something if you lose a little profit. Means, uh, uh, but this in general is a government that should uh, push and should protect and should keep uh, um, uh, regulations and, 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 and uh, in such a way that uh, common, I mean, public space uh, must be, develop and protected. Yes, I agree. I mean, Manila, there are not too many open spaces. I mean, and that's heavy, also unhealthy. It's really, really unhealthy. So actually, that's also one thing because, for example, New York, they have Central Park. And if, if my memory serves me right, I think way back in history, they did Central Park because they see a decline in the health of the New Yorkers. So they tried to like, think of a way how the users or how the New Yorkers would actually have um, a more healthy lifestyle. That's why they actually propose the Central Park. And at, at the same time, for example, for today's context, at least their cities actually have lungs. And like here in Manila, like most of the green spaces we have are actually owned by 
private like lands or private owners, for example, golf courses. I think like as what other people have mentioned before, um, Manila is one of the rarest places you could actually find golf courses in the middle of a city. So I think like the government should really do something about like the policies regarding like building more parks and more green spaces. And um, architect William T, for example, your projects, um, for example, in Batangas or in Horizon Manila. So what are the things, what are the design solutions or some some strategies you use in order for you to actually come up with um, designs that are for the people? Well, I think, for example, like uh, we, you just mentioned golf courses, which is, you know, one of the greatest ills, you know, in a, inside the center of a city. Um, one of the things we tried to do with the master plan for Batangas was that we tried to preserve the existing forest. And so we were able to, but this was a semi-public uh, private partnership. So it was between the city government and a few developers. And we encouraged them or, you know, we, you know, um, actually expressed to them that instead of building amenities like a park, a golf course or something, you know, um, pretty much man-made, uh, why don't we just retain the existing forest? Um, especially since that forest actually, that strip of forest actually connects the mountain to the river. And so it was something that we really wanted to preserve. And then we said that can actually inform how we develop or design the city moving forward. And if Batangas can have this, you know, moniker of a forest city, then that's something different or a different lifestyle that they can promote. You know, um, And we start to ask, what does it mean to live in a forest city? Um, how would it be different? And so that was what we were pushing for. Um, and so that was one step. Um, yeah, for Batangas, that was it. So it's actually cool because it's actually challenging the typology for cities or how we plan cities, especially, especially here in the Philippines. Where there's users like is there like a ratio you're following or something? Uh, okay, uh, so far in the Philippines, we only design and build uh, uh, mixed-use uh, uh, buildings, so no no planning. Okay? I mean, no master planning of uh, uh, at the urban scale. Um, so what we do, as I said, we we always try to uh, increase the number of the, the square meter of open spaces and uh, having terraces, having a lot of uh, outdoor. Uh, common areas and uh, uh, more or less increasing uh, uh, natural ventilation through the stack effect. We have uh, inner courtyards in all our buildings that uh, work like uh, natural chimneys, as we discussed earlier, uh, and uh, increase uh, uh, as much as possible the size of the windows, but always shaded so that we have indirect light in the hottest hours of the day. So. That's what we can do inside buildings. Oh, so actually you can actually make things more green, like in a micro or macro scale. So before we move forward to the next questions, we would like again to acknowledge the presence of UAPGA Chairperson, Architect Grace Edralyn Servino, UAP Commission and Education Executive Director, Architect Grace C. Ramos, and UAP World Architecture Day Organizing Committee and UAP President Architect Richard Garcia. Okay, thank you so much for um, supporting us in this event. Okay, so moving forward, our next um, discussion we would be more about healing architecture. So, for example, like the firm I 
mentioned earlier is the mass design group. So there's actually a problem in Rwanda wherein they lack hospitals. So what they did, they actually just hired the people living in the community. They let them like, you know, make bricks. They actually do the masonry work. So they just source everything in the locality. And it actually decreased the deaths of the, due to different diseases in Rwanda. And for example, also they proposed this maternity center wherein one of the problems in that certain community, like there's actually a very high maternity death in that community. So they actually made like a maternity waiting center for the women in that certain area. So for for this topic, so how would you use architecture to heal the users like mentally and emotionally? Like, and in this in these spaces, like how do you do it? Like architect William. Well, you know, like I I think of course there are healing spaces, meaning there are hospitals and all these clinics and stuff. But I think a more architectural way for us to actually, you know, um try to be active um in terms of like how do we heal the stress, you know, um, that exists in our city? Uh, for example, I think densification is something that we really have to push for or intensification. Um, even in a city like ours, which is already the densest city, Manila is the densest city in the world. Um, but I do believe that there is a problem where you have, you know, a great number of people having to travel two hours, sometimes four hours each day uh, to and from work or school. And so that is, of course, a great cause of not just mental problems, but, you know, or mental anguish. It's also, you know, uh, detrimental to your your health and well-being because you don't have enough time to actually rest and recover. And so those are, I think, that's a housing problem, actually. Um, it's a planning problem. Um, but in terms of architecture, of course, the, 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 the common, for example, one of the things that we actually try to address is that a lot of our architecture, we talk about um, we talk about cross ventilation. We talk about windows. We talk about having fresh air inside. Um, but one of the things I think that we've forgotten is that actually we live in a very hot and humid climate. Actually, and if you look at all the old churches, you know the old stone houses, because of the thick walls, they actually have a pretty cool interior space. And so that's one of the things that we've been trying to work on in terms of like. How do we thermally insulate, you know, the homes that we build? Um, right now, we're starting with, of course, um, private residences and villas. But eventually, we hope once we kind of like um, learn better and, you know, learn, learn back, you know, this idea about how we can insulate our homes, that we can actually execute them into the high rises that we build. Oh, that's actually true. Like what I've mentioned earlier. So it's really, really important for us to look into our past because, like somewhere out there in our past, our our ancestors did it better than how we do it today. So it's like like what Sir Will said, like relearning how they did it in the past. Because actually now, like it's really costly to like run a building just for you to actually feel comfortable living in it. For example, you'll have an AC in your bedroom and your living room, basically everywhere. Some toilets even have AC. So like we should really like look more on how we could actually reduce those kinds of mechanical intervention. So for example, user, like how do you like reduce the daily stress of people like in the houses you build? So like, do you provide like communal spaces where like other users could actually meet or something like that? Or in the planning of your houses, how do you like give them a more mental well-being? 
of course, also architecture, we need to realize as its own limitation. No? I mean, yes. uh, we cannot think that we solve uh, all, uh, all uh, human uh, uh, being problems, correct? But uh, having said that, of course, we discussed also earlier that uh, uh, well-designed, ventilated, and lighted, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, spaces uh, with proper material, proportion, can, can uh, for, sure, uh, for sure they affect positively uh the then users um having access to again and uh, being close to natural uh, areas for example the project we are doing in miramonte it's uh, under this point of view uh, extremely extremely interesting because it's uh, just surrounded by nature in some way even if we are close to an industrial park um so the location of the building i think is extremely important if it's not located in congested area but of course this then becomes a mobility problem how people go from this building i don't know that it's not in the center of makati to makati or maybe it's a very it's a problem very much like linked to planning you know because if if uh, uh talking about metro manila if nothing will change in the next years and 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 90% of the people have to go to I don't know city or Makati to work uh and and uh, there is no proper uh, uh, public transportation uh and all the tra the transport the public tra the, the transportation is based on cars and so you have traffic and then you have pollution so i mean we can do uh, as much as we want but we are not going to re reverse the unhealthy way of living and i agree with what my colleague just said i mean it's more holistic you know the problem is the, the the lifestyle you have what do you eat where do you eat how stressed you are how many hours it's needed for you to go and back i mean i i know that there are people that they spend three hours to go to their their office and three hours to go back i mean it's six hours in a day plus you put eight hours that you work there when you go home, how can you be non unstressed? Of course, you are stressed, and and you know when you are stressed, you 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 have a lot of problems. So I'm not saying architects should forget about the well-being and of uh, of, of uh, people, but uh, again, it's more about planning. It's more about maybe government uh, decisions and 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 strategic uh, strategic planning implementation. Yeah, it's really true. Even if we really, really want to contribute to like solving these problems, there's just a limitation to like what we can do. For example, like what we've mentioned earlier, for example, me, when I was still working here in Manila, I had to commute all the way from Bulacan to San Juan just to like work. So all the two hours going and the two hours going back at home, I just wasted like four hours of my life. So basically in a day, the only functional hours I have is just 20 hours. So and then when I go when I commute and it's really really stressful because I have to line for like 15 to 30 minutes and sometimes it takes an hour just to line up and then the ride would just be 15 minutes so it should be a multi-sectoral or what do you how do you call it a multidisciplinary approach so I think it's really time for the government to actually hear our sentiments that you know it's not just the job of the, the private individuals to actually improve our lives there should be an intervention like by the government. Okay, so next question. So in your projects, what do you, like other than well-being, like what are you promoting in your projects that you think should be a normal, you know, strategy, strategy for the architectural practice here in the Philippines? Like, do you have anything special with the projects you do or what are the philosophies you're implementing in your projects, architect 
William? Um, well, our office, we largely push for this agenda about social architecture, this idea about um, removing barriers, you know, allowing for freedom of movement. One of the observations, you know, I have about, you know, growing up in this city is that we have so much restriction, you know, uh, we have we have the largest security guard force in the world, which is actually the largest armed force in our country, bigger than the police force or the armed forces. Um, we fence off our par our parks and gardens. You know, um, I remember the Mehan Garden. I used to be able to walk in growing up. I can't even find how where the access now is. So a lot of like our public space, you know, the, the few public space that we have is actually heavily restricted. Our museums, our libraries, uh, so most of our mayors can't find where the city library actually is located. Um, so I think we always push for this idea about um, social architecture where you remove barriers, you allow for more mobility, more accessibility. Uh, we push for hyper-local spaces where instead of having people, let's say, go to a museum or a library, you can you bring the library or museum to us? Uh, much like how we've localized you know, our government in terms of the barangay, uh, barangays in terms of like how we see a chapel everywhere in our if you can find a chapel in every shopping mall in every you know hospital or whatever why can't we find a library why can't we find art you know in our everyday lives um the other thing is this idea about trying to push for uh buildings or architecture that connects us you know that, that it serves a duality of purpose not just its main function but architecture, I believe, should be kind of like an activist endeavor where we try to push for certain agendas, for example, like uh, personal mobility, uh, for reforestation, um, for, you know, just main accessibility for the people in need who are undocumented. Um, I think a lot of our architecture actually um, discriminates against people, you know, who don't have the means to buy, you know, proper clothes, who don't have uh, proper documentation in terms of identification and everything like that. Um, so I think these are the things that we can actually address easily because they're not big structural problems. It's just a mindset of why we want to restrict places. And so I think that's one of the things we always push for. Yeah, that's really true because, for example, here in Manila, like what we've mentioned earlier, the golf courses, like an ordinary Filipino people can't just go there and like golf or like walk around like you just have to like you know have that certain social status to be actually considering we have so many public golf courses actually in manila they're actually publicly owned but for example intramuros how many people have are able to actually walk on that golf course and Only it's right in the heart of the city yeah and just imagine that large expanse of green space and only a handful of people can actually like access them so is are are these spaces really for everybody or like should you i think we should really like make them more open like what sir william said make them more more inclusive because even with the malls we have there's like a mall for certain people of certain social status or like there are parks like for certain people of certain social status so i think there's there's really like a lot of work to do in terms of like you know changing how we see things especially with spaces, because even before, actually, it's really nice to live in cramped areas or like how other people call them squatters, because even in our area in Bulacan, it's like, it's it's very dense, but then it everything's so efficient. When, when you want a coffee at 3 a.m., you can just go down to the Sari Sari store and buy. 
if you want like a lugaw early in the morning, you just walk up or you just walk like 20 meters and everything is there. And actually, based on data, it's actually more safe. I mean, it's safer to actually live there. For example, us, we feel safe when we live there because there's actually a lot of people on the streets. That's how they call it, ice on the streets. So when there's someone unfamiliar or someone foreign in the area, people would actually speculate like, who is this person? Like, why is he here? So people would flock and ask them like, who are you looking for? So, so that's a, actually a kind of like a natural way of securing area because everybody knows you. So everybody knows who's from the outside the area. So it's actually safer if... You're from the locality. So for you, Architect Romul Nati, have you observed this kind of like situations or, or have you tried visiting these areas, for example, Tondo or Baseco? Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, um, I have been a couple of times in Tondo and I have to say that uh, maybe people think I'm crazy. I love it. I really love it from an architectural point of view. Um To see the creativity of, of uh, how these houses have, are built i i am amazed you know but unfortunately when i am in different uh, i mean uh, event or uh, dinners or party when i try to say that they look at me like i'm totally crazy or maybe i just want to stimulate some some uh, weird discussion but i really think that i mean I, I, there was a period I spent a lot of hours going around in places where I can go because in some places they told me, be careful because as you said, maybe they see a foreigner, they don't know what I'm doing there, I, I, it can be dangerous. But there are for architects so many interesting uh, um, ideas there. I mean, I'm, I'm really amazed about it. Actually, I would like when I have a little more time to start to do a real study of it because for architect we can really decodify a lot of elements that later on can be again uh, re-elaborated and used in architecture in fact when they tell me what are the most interesting architectures you have seen in the philippines i have to say in these places in tondo it's amazing because if you tell me in makati i mean in makati it's just how do you say uh, uh, fresh vanilla how do you say there is a way, uh, white vanilla you know it's all the same i mean it's nice but the same building you see in Makati, you can see in New York, in Italy, in Milan. It's, it, it's okay, but I don't see it. But in those places, the creativity and also, I would say, the sustainability, because all the materials that they're using are recycled material. And they get a, a billboard and a, 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 a GI sheet, and, and, and it's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm really, and I'm very happy that you mentioned that because sometimes, even when I talk with other people, they say, no, no, don't mention that because because he looks like, uh, I, I, I never understood, it looks like uh, maybe I'm a little crazy that I, I like this place. I love it. I really, I really. And by the way, going with the car, driving in these places, you can really see that there is a, 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 a microeconomy there. People are, are not lazy. You know, I've been in South America many times and, and there is a big difference. I, look, I like South America as well, but... In Philippines, different. You see a lot of activities. The, the guy fixing the car and fixing the, the guy selling. So there is a microeconomy there, I'm sure. And, and maybe the problem is when there are typhoon, major calamities, or if they are close to rivers and there are floods. That, that's that's a problem. But uh, apart from that, it's fantastic. And actually, I'm sure. By the way, there are. Uh, I can I can share with you in, in the next days. 
I have been looking internet and, and there are uh, architects and photographers. They did several studies about, there is a very, a very famous Japanese and another one I think is from Poland who, who studied this, uh, 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 this kind of architecture. And, and it, it, it's really very interesting. Well, you know, I think thanks for bringing up Tondo. Actually, I grew up in Tondo, um, in some part of Tondo. And, you know, that re that's really informed, you know, the architecture that I practice. And I think why so many people cannot see, you know, the beauty of it, I guess, is because we look at, you know, a physical beauty in so many. But as architects, we see program, we see the multiplicity of usage, we see the adaptability of these spaces. And... If anything, I guess, of course, we need to improve people's lives, but those are some things that we can actually learn in terms of how we can, you know, develop, you know, future spaces that are compact, that are very accessible and open, that are shared. And, you know, they, they have so much, so much shared space in these streets and the streets actually function as their public space. And I remember, or at least, you know, we always talk about, you know, pedestrian streets, you know, pedestrian priority roads, especially as planners, right? But actually, in Tondo, every street is pedestrian priority, right? So these are things that we can actually take home, you know. Um, and I remember every time we have we have this event called Anthology, where we invite like dozens of architects from around the world. Most of them, what they really want to see is actually Tondo. They actually keep requesting us to bring them to Tondo because it's actually a very different, you know, idea of how people can actually live. And they're pretty. I mean, of course, there are different areas of Tondo, but the more there are also good areas where you see people are actually happy. I remember taking a photo of people actually recycling and like they're actually doing it better than a lot of affluent communities where you can see them recycling all the plastic bottles and everything. They actually have them properly located in the center of the, you know, the area called the barangay where they actually do these things. And I was like, you know, this is something that we don't see and we take for granted actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, after this, uh, maybe we can talk because I would like to, to be in touch with you and maybe you can give me some uh, tips how to go to Tondo and travel and, and, and think further. Because, you know, um, I read one time an article, it said, if there will be uh, 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 the, the future of architecture in Southeast Asia, uh, the, 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 the new ideas will not come from... Uh, from Agati or the, will come from uh, from Tondo in these areas. And I totally agree, it, it, the creativity is there. I mean, here, of course, we, we all are required to build building in a different way, but there are so many elements. And the reason why people do not appreciate that, because always there is this uh, misconception between uh, what, it, what is beautiful or, or and what is poor. You know what I mean? Something poor cannot be interesting because it's poor. It's the opposite, you know what I mean? Because these people are, are able to do, to, to create architecture with the nothing, you know what I mean? That's a real challenge because if you have money, resources, I mean, I don't want to say anyone can do it. But in that condition, it, it's fantastic the effort they put and, and there is a lot of a lot of value there that uh, I don't know if uh, this, the, of the, the universities are doing anything about it or trying to study with because I find it in the Philippines a little like a taboo, you know what I mean? It don't don't mention that. But very very good, very um, say surprised that you said that architects come and they want to go there. 
Um, I, I, I especially a lot of like I remember last time the Japanese architects, Japanese, yeah, know. they, they, they really enjoy. That was their main request that they have to go there by hook or by crook, and we brought them around. And of course, I grew up in the area. I'm not so scared about walking the area, but actually, you just have to know which areas are yeah, you know easier sure. to go to. But I think one of the things that's also interesting about you mentioned how they build is that there's a certain communal knowledge of how to build like that. And it's basically like if you ask, I think, any architect here how we can build like that, we probably would like go crazy with the resources and means. But but these people in these areas, it's something like a knowledge that's passed down. Like, you know, they see it maybe growing up or from someone they know, and it gets passed down through generations. And I'm sure one of these days, if someone starts documenting these ideas. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Someone must document this because it's 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 a real value, and it's gonna be lost soon. Exactly. Like even me. Like even if even if I'm not living in Todo, but my place in Bulacan is actually, you know, it's for me. It's even better than living in BGC because like the next Seven Eleven would be like four blocks away. Well, there I just want like. Ah, I want Coke for tonight. So I'll just go out and buy Coke. And then if I forgot something, I'll just go out again and then buy ice. And then like the economy is actually great because people actually find ways to like, you know, make money out of basically anything. Like if you see one barbecue stall here and then some, maybe some other people would start selling also barbecue on the next block. And it's actually nice. And there's a road called Wooner. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar I think it's a Dutch kind of road. It's Woonerf. It's both accessible to pedestrians, to retail, and to like cars and bikes. So when we when we research about Woonerf, it's basically just like the streets we have in this area. There's a presence of economic activities. You can see children playing like on the streets. Like when you go to Tondo, they'll just draw using chalk or or they'll, they'll draw the boxes with numbers using Tansan, and they actually use tires for, you know, flower pots and also. Can you explain to us, uh, us, for example, Sir William, I think you had a project in, is it in Tundo before, like for the Baron guys? Like, can you tell us more about how you could actually improve them or what kind of intervention should we do or there should be no intervention at all? No, I do believe that um, people should be housed in, of course, you know, decent dwellings. You know, I don't. I think one of the biggest problems with Tondo is that what we see actually is the bad side of Tondo, which is largely due to, you know, poverty porn, if you may. So people know that, you know, those are things that, you know, that get attention. But I think a lot of the, I, I remember always distinctly how like the Netherlands are able to build a very dense, you know, city or country without very much vertical buildings, right? And that's something with Tondo also. If you look at the better parts of Tondo, it's actually very, well, like I said, it's the densest place on earth. Um, but that's largely due to the inaccessibility to cars, right? So the roads are smaller. And so even if it's very horizontal and not vertical, you're able to pack more people. Um, and these are not the shanties. These are the, you know, um, concrete or, you know, concrete block structures that you would see. They're painted. They, they're decent homes. Um, they're about, I would say, um, 50 to 80 square meters um, per floor. And they would usually have two floors. And they would be wall to wall. Like, you know, they would be wall to wall in a street. But the streets are short. And so it kind of like acts as a whole block in some way. And 
well, we keep trying to figure that out. Like, how can we get, because like everyone now, if you want to buy a home, you want a car. So how do we kind of like combine this? I think that's one of the learnings that we need to find there. But simply how you can densify, okay, how everyone can have actually a house and a lot inside the city, make the space work, meaning financially in a way. Um, that's something that I think can be replicated actually. Uh, now it's very interesting. So actually, that's also nice uh, regarding cars because I was also amazed. For example, in the community I'm living in right now, um, only like in 20 houses, there's only one person owning a car. And for of course, that's what I've mentioned, the place is efficient. So there's there would be like only a few times for you to actually like go to the mall. So you don't really go outside that community often. So what's really nice, for example, like I have to go to the airport. So I have... To like ride a public transport but that's that would be like too hassle so i'll just borrow a car so there's just someone in that community who provides a car for everyone so you just have to pay it's like actually uber diba? the goal of uber and grab is to actually like promote ride sharing to actually lessen the number of cars we have because for example even like the gated communities here in the philippines like tell me how often they just use their cars they have 10 cars and how many times do they go out on the road maybe like once twice or less than 10 times in a year so it's really really efficient and for example in these spaces like do you like what 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 spaces could we actually add add to here or like do you think they would like it would be better for them to have like tenement housing or it will just be how it looks like. Like, for example, like they build their own. Because here in the Philippines, we have some laws to like, you know, laws to follow. And if you go in these places, they're basically not following any of the laws. So how do you think, like, where do we draw the line wherein laws will be followed at the same time, like how they do things would be, you know, preserved? Well, I think our building code is grossly outdated um i believe in a living code meaning something that you, you can actually adjust based on community and that's how you create you know more diverse and richer communities and so i feel like there should be of course there will be standards but there should be a channel or avenue where you can actually discuss you know certain communities certain things um so hopefully that's something that can be pushed for for by you know the different organizations in terms of housing, um, I'm actually working on actually one of the things that I feel like it's not an architectural problem. Housing is not really an architectural problem. It's a social, it's a political problem. Um, but we're actually working on one of the government's public housing programs right now. And of course, there's this, you know, just for it to sound nice, they have big announcements about building a million homes or something like that a year. And instead of like, of course, there's a lot of feedback about it, but actually we should actually push for more housing. We should really encourage that because that's one of the things, you know, one of the findings I have, you know, comparing the Philippines to other Southeast Asian nations, right? Is that things are really expensive in our country. You know, small things like a bottle of water, a can of Coke, you know, those kind of things. And why is that so, right? You start to question, why is it? Why is everything across the board more expensive and one of the problems is we are actually living in a how do you say it? like a rent you know it's literally rent you know how we when we say in english rent rent economy it's like a feudal system because people don't own spaces we don't own our homes 
Uh, we don't own our stores, you know, our shops. And so there's a few people controlling all the land, all the physical built environment, and everyone has to pay rent. And so, of course, this rent economy trickles down and everything becomes more expensive across the board. And that's something that needs to be addressed, I think, because obviously the Philippines is not one of the richer countries in Southeast Asia, but we're one of the most expensive. And I think that's because of this, you know, this idea that we don't let more people or, well, the government obviously is not investing. We disallow foreigners maybe to invest, to buy land. And so we're, we're left with a few, you know, big developers controlling so much of our built space. Um, and what's happening is that everything trickles down. So everything is more expensive. Like Malaysia is how much higher is the GDP in Malaysia compared, I think like three or four times our per capita GDP. A bottle of water like costs less than half what it costs here. A grab ride costs less than what half what it costs here. And why is that so? Right? Their, um, their labor is actually more expensive than ours. And so I think a large part of it is due to this rent economy. So I think, yeah. So it's still actually a political problem. So the by like people want to earn more by like putting up a lot of charges basically to everything we do, like for example, like parking, so it's too expensive. Or like the Balak water, which is actually nice. That I think we should really learn from our neighbors because the that's really the purpose of like you know putting up ASEAN to actually like exchange knowledge and etc. For example, in Singapore, they know that their you know their water resource is finite. So what they did is they just basically recycle all the water from sewers, from like houses, and they actually that's the water from the sewer is actually the same water you're drinking inside the bottle. And in the Philippines, diba, like they're charging so much for a water where in fact, it's a public property. Like everybody owns the water, but they're charging us too much for a water bottle. And then what? During festivals, there'll be a lot of plastic bottles everywhere. So, you know, I think the government should really like do something because even if we like do a lot of work, they wouldn't actually make sense if like the policies we have do not, you know, do not actually make sense in the real world. So for you, uh, um, next uh, next question along. Um, how about architect Romul Nati? Like, how do you think should we like you know revolutionize or like at least like do better in our, for example, housing problem? Um, you know, in 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 uh, in my country, for example, in Italy or in other countries uh, that are called developed country just because they are a little ahead of the curve compared to the Philippines or countries that are developing um, now. We had very big, uh, we call it uh, piano casa, means a housing plan, uh, making, uh, uh, providing housing, decent housing, safe uh, uh, housing, safe shelters to people that have less uh, uh, purchase power or, or, or even for the poor. Um, I hope that it is going to be done also in the Philippines so that, uh, because I don't think, I mean, as a foreigner, so, so I, I, I just go around and see, I've been here 13 years in many areas. I, I, at the beginning, when I see the way they were living, I thought they were poor, but they under, I under, understand, I understood that they are not poor. Actually, as I said, there is an economy. They, they don't miss, uh, I, I don't see them missing anything important. I don't know about, uh, uh, the health system. Uh, this I, I I cannot talk about it. 
Um, but what they were missing was proper infrastructure, uh, decent housing, you know, um, and uh, of course government should help on that because um, we're talking about millions and millions of houses. I saw the, now the new um, uh, secretary of uh, DASHO, uh, Akuzar, who say one million, one million houses per year. And um, because what I know is that in the Philippines, the gaps, the gap now, the housing gap uh, for socialized and, and economic houses are around 5.5 million as of today is growing 5% per year because developers cannot provide the, 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 the I think the 500,000 units that are missing more or less, I'm running running number missing every year. So this uh, gap is keep uh, going uh, up. So uh, I hope that uh, this gap can be, can, can be reduced and, 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 that's it, because it's very important to have safe shelters. You know, above all in a country where you have uh, you have typhoons and major calamities. You know, every time there is a typhoon, frankly, I'm, I'm not to worry about myself. I'm worried about people. Yeah, because I see sometimes houses, and I say, how can this house can stand a, a typhoon? It cannot really. Actually, was happy that the last typhoon was supposed to be a disaster, and it was just nothing. Hope. Fortunately, in, in, I'm talking in, in Metro Manila, but because if you have uh, winds at 250, 300 kilometers per hour, I mean, you can imagine that, I mean, 50% of these, uh, I mean, uh, uh, kind of houses with GI sheet as a roof and all that, I mean, they will be devastated, you know, or or flooding, you know, the Marikina River, the, the river in Marikina, all those things. I mean, government should really focus on that. Um, yeah, creating safe, look, places for for everybody yeah that actually that's actually true i think the gap um with the housing gap i think because like most developers don't really cater to people who actually need well it's not their housing. job yeah. it's not their well, job yeah, actually it's not, right? it's not the job of private developers to fulfill the housing gap right so it's something that we need to push our government not the developers oh yeah so i yeah, think I they agree. have they should have like better policies regarding that because I think you know during our review there's actually like an allocation for socioeconomic housing for every development, right, sir? So I think maybe they could increase that or something. But like it's just sad that here in the Philippines we're actually having more condominiums, but then more houses for those who can afford it, but not more houses for those who need houses. Okay, so next is um. I guess, by the way, if you have questions, you can write them down. And for our live viewers, you can actually comment them down below in the comment section. And then we will be reading them, them later. So COVID-19 really changed our lives lately, like how we work, how we deal with like businesses. For example, like there would be more alfresco dining. And then for most companies, some are even not going back to their physical setup. Some are like continuing with a work from home. So regarding the situation brought about by the pandemic, how do you think should, you know, the architecture practice should adapt? Should we do changes or should we just like go back to how we used to do things pre-pandemic? Well, I'm not a great believer in online or, you know, um, you know working from home, you know, or these things, right? Um, I actually had this discussion yesterday in another talk, actually. Um, one of the problems is 
So like, I think architecture, there's actually three kinds of architecture, right? I mean, not three kinds, but like maybe three different groups of architects, those who are actually designing. Um, and actually in, very interesting thing in Denmark, they actually have building technologists who actually produce the drawings and the architects just do the design work. And that's why there's no formal architectural title in Denmark, actually. And I mean, I'm just stating that because that's the case. There's architecture that's doing design work. There's architecture that's doing production work. I don't believe that architecture, especially the design work, can be done online or remotely. I believe it requires much more collaboration. And simply the idea that you're not, you're not even going on site, I think that's something, there's something to be said about that when you're doing architecture. But I also believe that there's this idea or like a new thing going on about the gig economy, right? About um, the nomad, nomadic architecture, about, um, you know, freelancing, you know. And I think, of course, this grew from the gig economy, which Uber started, you know, um, Airbnb. And yes, there is a certain space or niche for that. But when we're talking about, you know, big, good architecture, you know, about how we can build better. I, I don't think, I feel like almost that that's a trap, you know, like how um, when we're doing the, you know, like how Uber, you know, has gotten so much, you know, pushback right now because all these people have realized that they've been Uber drivers for like, I don't know, five years, 10 years. And, you know, they're still Uber drivers that there's no ladder for your yeah, progression for you to climb. And I think that's a trap, you know, of being a, an online architect of being, you know, a nomadic architect working in the beach, you know, whatever, 10 years down the road, that's still what you do. And this might be okay for some people, but I think, you know, people, you know, we get older, we progress, we have families. And of course we want to grow as an architect, as practitioners as well. And so I think that's something that might, that should not be pushed to be bigger and bigger because there might be, you know, problems in the future. How about you, sir? Like, how do you think should we like adapt to these things now, or should we just go back to like how we used to do things before? Like, regarding the effects of the pandemic, like, what's your comment about that? Um, I think that um, uh, as every experience, something is uh, uh, good that we should take it. We should consider something should be. Uh, live should be left i mean uh, like uh, i think that before we were just traveling to have meetings with uh, it was it was really compulsive the way we were traveling just to to go to singapore to have a meeting to hong kong to have a meeting to get the car to have a meeting uh and uh, and uh, i think that many of those uh, meetings, which because every time we move, we 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 we, pro we, we produce an impact on the environment. Now, if we talk about sustainability, we should try as much as possible to reduce uh, uh, the production of CO2 and and the consumption of of material and 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 and, and natural resources. So, I think that we the, the fact that with the pandemic, we everyone learned to do, for example, meeting online. I I think it's a good thing. Now, all meet if. I don't think all meetings should be online, but I think that uh, we, we can all contribute uh, to the environment if we reduce the, 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 uh, our movement to, to do meetings that are not needed. Uh, again, I remember before the pandemic, you know, you go to Hong Kong for, um, it, it was a little, 
enjoyable. I, I like it, but a little nonsense. You know what I mean? Uh, now, uh, during the pandemic, no movement at all. I think it's the other extreme. So I think we should uh, just take what was good. Maybe many things can be done online. Others cannot be. For example, sometimes I really need to meet people. You know, for example, I have a guy who does our scale models, you know, and we try to, to have meetings online, but it's impossible because of the scale model. Is, you, need, you need to touch it. You need to see it. You know, some activities cannot be done in remote. It's impossible. Or like even visiting the site, you can have camera, etc. You need to go to in, in, the, in the site. You need to see the people to the construction. Um, I think that it's an illusion to think that everything will go will be in remote. It is not possible. It's also not 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 nice. Um, so I mean, just let's let's take what is good and let's let leave what is not good. That, that's it. Uh, yeah. Destructive to destructive to our nature. But then you know, everyday life, like for example, commuting to work for two hours, you alone, you contribute a lot to our environment. So I think we should rethink some other things. For example. Sir Will actually mentioned earlier about hyperlocal, which is actually very good because hyper, can you explain more to us, Sir Will, what is hyperlocal, why you're pushing for it? Well, you know, I think that was already explained when we were talking about Tondo, right? How you have so many mixed-use communities and everything. But one of the things we don't address is the availability of points of interest locally, right? So we always try to address in a mixed-use community, you have commercial, you have work, you have, you know, retail maybe, and you have housing. But one of the things that we forget to address is that there has to be a, an anchor for the community, a shared space, whether it be a public park, whether it be a, a library or something. But there has to be a point of interest in the community because then, I mean, of course, when you're designing something new, people who like these amenities, they live in this community. They, became, they become local. They stay there more. And then, of course, then adjacent to that, there would be, you know, some some other complementary, you know, amenity or center of interest. And then let's just say, um, you know, a spa or something or an art museum, you know, anything. But then people who have that interest or a bathhouse would, you know, would tend to live in that area. And so they exist together as an ecosystem, right? Put together. But each of these ones, they're hyper-local because they have, they have a destination inside of them. They don't have to keep going somewhere just to spend time especially in the reality of modern Asia where we have such huge densities and people can just stay home because their homes are in reality much smaller as well. So we need to kind of like figure out how to make, you know, these smaller communities more complete. Yeah. Actually, that's, 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 that's really great if you actually like have parks in every barangay because like personally, this is my personal belief. Like, I think like one of our professors before told us that the amount of public space the government gives you is actually the amount of freedom the government gives you. So like even in other countries, public spaces are used for like lobbying the rights or like like just simply living because you know these spaces are so good because a lot of like business partnerships are formed in parks, a lot of like micro economies are there. So um follow-up question, architect Will. Um there's uh you actually presented your curatorial concept, Bakuran, for the Venice Biennale. So can you explain to us a little about that? So how is that important, like promoting local Filipino garden to the world? 
Well, that was actually a two-pronged um, idea. Uh, one of the things about the Biennale recently is that they've been saying that it's been detached, you know, from everyday life, from everyday people. And so we wanted to figure out a way how we can make the Biennale relevant, actually, to everyday life, to the people, right? And not something that just, you know, we artsy architects go visit on a whim and then, you know, enjoy, socialize, and then forget about, right? So what we wanted to do was we wanted to build um, a garden there, um, but we also wanted that to be there to be a parallel garden here in Metro Manila. So we wanted to be able to make use of the funds for the Biennale to actually build a park for a barangay in Quezon City, actually, um, and create sort of like that as a portal and link you know both areas to make the Biennale actually relevant for people here in Metro Manila. Um, the second idea was that we wanted to use the Biennale as a starting point to try to define what Filipino gardens are, because right now there's no definition of these, of this actually. So that's one of the goals we had for that exhibition, actually, to what define, define the elements and the spaces that together um, make up a Filipino garden, what the identity of that is, and how do we form a more structured idea. And then so because you know, the Philippines, we have 10 million OFWs around the world. Maybe they can recreate, you know, a slice of the Philippines, you know, in their backyards or something like that. Yeah. It's actually nice because, diba, all of us, of course, we all have that memory in the backyard. When I was growing up, like, we used to play at the backyard or Sabakuran or like, diba, I think it's also very nostalgic also for people living abroad and for them to see like a piece of our collective memory of how we actually like see gardens. So, okay. So moving forward, we'll be asking some questions from our audience and we'll be asking like also a few questions from our live audience. So question number one from an anonymous audience. So can you, this question is to the both of you. Um, can you give a few words to encourage us young aspiring architects on how can we influence people to appreciate architecture even in small-scale projects. So, uh, how about you, architect? Um, uh, can you give us a few words to encourage us, them, young aspiring architects, on how can they influence ordinary people about architecture even in small-scale projects? Um, I mean, to me, sorry. There is no difference between a small, pro, a small scale project, a big scale project. You know, I mean, a project is a project. I mean, uh, so the question to me is, uh, how can we make people interested in architecture or in design? Um, you know, for example, in my case, I al always had these difficulties to find clients since I was a, a young architect. You know, so what I did, I started to become a client of myself and try to find very small uh, places that I could buy for very little money, asking money to my my friends, the, 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 the people around me, buy this place and, and, and fix them and show what the power architecture is. You get a, a small, ugly place, you transform in a beautiful and functional place. You know? I mean, to, and, and this gave me uh, the, the chance to start, you know. So, uh, because it's 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 difficult, even in Italy, it's difficult to convince people to hire an architect uh, to do something. But what if you are nobody, correct? Because in general, uh, they 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 
they call the architect it's known because they already work for so many other clients so to me it's uh trying to to get started in uh, creative ways i mean uh, do not wait for the perfect job because maybe it never arrive you know so just get started yeah I agree. how about you sir william um I'd like to encourage, you know, uh, most architects, whether young or old, to actually think of architecture as a more active pursuit. You know, um, I think we can do a bit of like activism in what we do. Um, of course, we have the projects that we build, but maybe if we, you know, think enough, if we kind of like ideate enough, we can insert certain ideas that can lead to the betterment of everyone. And I think we can keep inserting these ideas or pushing for ideas that can actually create small little changes in our communities. And so in that way, we become, you know, activists, you know, become activist architects and we start pushing for, you know, a better built environment for everyone. So that's what I hope everyone can start doing. Actually, that's true because, you know, architecture will and always be political. So starting from like small projects, you can just like, you know, like what Sir Will said, insert those ideas so that those things would then become a norm. Okay, so I think we have no more questions from the audience. So any last few words from our speakers? I'm just sure. Uh, just I would like to thank you for the invitation. I found this uh... This event very interesting for myself. I'm very glad to have met uh, my colleagues and uh, everybody and uh, keep calling me when you have things like that. Thank you. How uh, about Sir William? Um, well, thank you for everyone who's interested enough in architecture to be spending a Sunday afternoon here. Um, and of course, that's something good to see that can continue. And it's good for UAP to be pushing for programs like these, of course. And yeah, so thank you all for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, one last question for Sir William. I think everybody's anticipating. Um, are we expecting the next anthology for next year or next next year? Because I think everybody wants to, you know, experience again anthology or you're, you're making it into a different program. No, we are doing anthology again, but we're slowly evolving it to include more installations and to have a longer period of time. Um, we're definitely removing these CPD points um, because we don't want people to be attending because they have to or for whatever requirement, but rather because they love architecture. Um, we are going to try to figure something out by the, by like the Burr months next year or early 2024. But that's the timeline we're looking at right now. Um, simply because, you know, flying people over, you know, given the current situation is a bit more difficult and we want we tried to do something online last year, but we felt like it's not the same. You know, um, there has to be because what we're doing is a festival. So it's supposed to be like everyone being together, celebrating, and so yeah. So hopefully, it's either by you know October next year or February of the year after we can have anthology back again with us. So brace yourselves for the next anthology.